Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Holsh Fidelity. Tonight we are going big time. This is potentially one of the most influential bands of the modern era. They're called Radiohead and this is a, this is a daunting one for both myself and my guest tonight. So imagine this band from across the pond called Radiohead, right? They're not your typical guitar strumming crew. They're like this musical kaleidoscope, blending sounds and vibes in ways that'll make your mind do somersaults. Back in the 90s, they dropped Creep, a real banger that got everyone's attention. But here's the twist. They quickly veered off that path into a whole new dimension, the Benz and OK Computer. Those albums are like the holy grail of alt-rock, moody, thought-provoking and way ahead of their time. Then... Buckle up for the wild ride through Kid A and Amnesiac. They ditched the rule book, cooking up a musical gumbo with electronic beats, mind-bending rhythms and atmospheric vibes that feel like they're from another planet. But hold on, it doesn't stop there. In Rainbows, The King of Limbs, A Moon-Shaped Pool, each album's a universe on its own. They're all about blending genres like it's an art form. Their music... It's like a sonic puzzle, mixing rock, electronica, jazz and classical tunes in this crazy, beautiful mashup. Radiohead isn't just a band. They're a whole vibe, a movement, a journey through sounds that'll make you feel like you're in some super secret musical discovery. And tonight, one of my favourite people on the planet, and this lady knows her music better than anyone else that I know, Deb, welcome to the show for your debut. G'day, Holsh. What an introduction. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So Deb is someone that I met long ago. Well, in 2004, I I knew her husband, John, who's already been on the show, and and I met her at Splendour in the Grass in 2004, and I I still remember that first night having a a few whatevers at the time, and and we were sitting down having our first ever chat in music and I just remember you putting me in my place for some of, <laughs> some of my musical knowledge and uh, and I think you and, and John also set up a little fluoro tent, tiny fluoro tent for me and a mate to, to sleep in <laughs> that said I love boys or something on the on the side. Yeah, that's right. But, come uh, fly with me. Come ah, yes, come fly with me. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to Radiohead, I know this is one of the bands that both you and John love, love dearly. So when did it all start for you with, with Radiohead? So in 93, when Creep was released, I was 13. And that was, for me, a really big moment. I think my older sister is probably my early musical influence. She was always very alternative and then immediately went out and bought Pablo Honey. And that was it for me. As an introvert, listening to these this band full of introverts write about their feelings, they were always very political you know, environmentalists, the human rights, the lyrics reflected it. So, and I never had to share them. They were, for all their fame, there wasn't too many people in the Radiohead fan club 
and they never they never sold out. You know, they never they always just did what they wanted to do, like some other bands like Kings of Leon. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> you know, they they always stayed true to themselves. And you know, I think for me, I've followed them throughout my life now, and that's probably the, the key points for me why why I love Radiohead so much. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's hard to name another band that shifted direction so vast and so often but continued to I don't know win their fan base just out of respect almost rather than you know a formula their formula was never set in stone and it's hard like I don't know if you could name another artist that did that definitely no I couldn't think of it no we were trying to talk about you know another band that that could change and they were so influential that they were so far ahead of their time. They would, you know, they were changing the, the, the face of music as it turned out. You know, so out of all these different eras, mm. so Creep, Pablo Honey just got them on the map more or less, but then they really kicked off things when they had the Benz and, and OK Computer, which is, you know, to this day almost considered the holy grail over the last few decades and then moved into In Rainbows and all the rest. But what period... And this might be almost impossible to answer, but is there yeah. a particular period in particular that, you know, when you look at it, you go, well, that area really resonates to me the most? No, I can't pick. So it's it's the soundtrack to my life, I would describe it as best. So, you know, the, the early rockier stuff was awesome. We moved over to the UK and, and that was Kid A at that time. And now having teenagers, my daughter's a massive Radiohead fan. So for me, this is this is an awesome time. No, I can't pick a. For me, it's just the soundtrack to my life. You know, I can remember things when albums were released, and I really yeah. love that. We would, as I just said before, like In Rainbows came out in I think was it two thousand and seven, yeah. and and they sort of broke all the rules there, and no one no one saw it coming for starters. It sort of just came out of the blue that Radiohead had a new album. There was no leaks or anything, and I think they did what they did because they they had been involved with leaks in the past and they just dropped the album and blew the world away by saying okay everyone can download it and you pay what you think it's worth i think music studios had their eyebrows raised didn't know how to take this whether it was going to affect everyone i know myself when it came out and and obviously knew very little about it i I will admit i paid nothing and i downloaded it Now I don't know if you want to divulge if if you spent any any of your hard earned to grab it that first day. I will say that one of my friends paid to download it. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can validate that afterwards. I did go and buy the vinyl when it, it was released a couple of years later. So sorry, Radiohead, but I did end up giving back. Now live performances. I, I can only assume that knowing you and John, like you guys, have seen so many bands, so many live acts different parts of the world. Is there any particular live performance of Radiohead that sticks in your mind? Well, when I was trying to pick my top five, I had to base it on a particular memory, a standout lyric that just has resonated with me through through all these years that I recall. So that's that's the only way that I could pick. And if you ask me again in a year from now, I have no doubt it would change. So we've seen them, yeah, three times. So some of the my song selections were definitely related to some live events, but we got to see them in 98 for their OK. I think I would have been 16 at the time. So yeah. 
still one of the best live performances for me, obviously. So for me, that really, really stuck with me. That's awesome. Actually, just quickly with your live performances. So you saw them in 97. Were the other two spaced out sort of across their career somewhat? No, so it was 98 at Festival Hall. Oh, sorry, 98. we saw them. We saw them. We flew down to Sydney for in 2003 for Hail to the Thief and then it was King of Limbs at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre. It was 2012. I think we only missed them once when they came in. So back to Australia. Yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. All right. I well, did hear that they're touring too. They're touring um, in 2024, I saw from my research. So that'll be pretty shit. exciting. Are you serious? Yeah, they're going to do a world tour in, in 2024. So oh, that was from man. my research. So my, the kids are stoked. That'll be amazing, yeah. Man, I am going no matter what to that. Wow, that's that's huge news, huge news. Isn't it, isn't it, yeah. Take that on board, listeners. <laughs> okay, well, prepare to roll into the top five. But before we do, I, I know you and I have had a few back and forth conversations, but this was potentially for me the hardest of all the High Fidelity projects so far for a five. I yeah. can imagine with you knowing the songs even more intimately than me, how tough was it? It was, it was really hard to pick the top five, like I said. So I could easily pick a top 20, but I had to just relate it back to specific memories. So there's many honourable mentions that I would like to make, but I did notice that you've got some crackers in there. So I was tempted to change up my playlist when I saw yours. I got a bit of envy, but I had to hold tight and stick with what I had. So no, I think that's one of the best ways to, to select a five, yeah, ones yeah. that have hit you in a certain way over your lifetime for whatever reason it is, whether it's a moment, it's a person or a place. I just think, especially when you say it's the soundtrack of your life. Well, let's roll into it. Number five. Number five for me comes from In Rainbows in 2007 and the name of the song is Reckoner. For me, it's probably one of Radiohead's greatest ensemble pieces where every person has a really key role to play and they pull it all together in full sync and it just comes across as this menacing but at the same time really beautiful song. The sound is really, I don't know how to describe it, it's almost like uneasy. And the first few times that I actually listened to it, it seemed really innocuous to me and it just grew and grew and grew. And I I think that's the same with a lot of their songs when they they did change in the 2000s like you'd listen to them and obviously it was such a vast change from the 90s that you took a step back but then the more you played them the more they just sunk into your soul and you understood the beauty of the art that they're creating it's it's a song that the beginning part of it really soothes and then and then it and then it soars more towards the end right at the beginning if you've got your headphones on the drums at the very beginning, they, they, they start kicking off in both ears and the percussion has these cymbal crashes right through it and it's an absolute earworm. I can't wait to hit play here because I just know that these, these drum, this drum piece is going to start rattling through my head. But then you get that wandering, unforgettable guitar riff that Tom himself has mentioned that it, it was a homage to John Frusciante from Red Hot Chili Pe- Peppers and, and Mars Volta. But yeah, the, the magic for me is how Selway's percussion with the guitar interplay and the bass line blends so perfectly right through the track.
also during the the latter part of the bridge, the, the backing vocals sing the actual title, the album title in rainbows. It's really hard to pick up, but he sings it through there, and apparently, it was picked at the very moment. So this is just a little fun fact. It apparently lines up with the mathematics aesthetically pleasing golden ratio of 61.8% through the album, which is meant to be the perfect percentage for the colour of a rainbow. So, yeah. so take that as you will. There's, there's, there's a lot of debate out there about it. Last little piece to the structure of the song is there's some strings in the outro that kick in around the 3 minute 33 mark and then Tom begs, take me with you. And I just feel like the conclusion is the perfect example with, you know, all the pieces going at once. it's an amazing song so when okay computer and in rainbows they were it gets described as it was made as one album there were so many songs that crossed over that wasn't ready there's like this little nerd theory behind <laughs> i don't know if i could say nerd theory. there's this nerd theory behind that um so when they were writing okay computer radiohead used working titles of zeros and ones and so they you know if okay computer is re- represented by zero one and in rainbows is by one zero so it's it's called the binary code so that's uh-huh. the two albums get released together they get referred to as the binary code anyway there you go i, I actually had no idea about that yeah, some of my songs that crossed over, they were written for OK and, and actually got released in rainbows. So that's a, that's um, a really long period of time. Like, that's a decade between those two releases. Is, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's The Reckoner. Let's, let's get on to the real deal now in Deb. So your number five. My number five. It was hard not to talk about it when we were just talking about it. Um, so <laughs> Nude. It's off in rainbows. It was originally written for the OK Computer they played it as part of their tour. It was just listed as untitled. Right. So, and it took them ages. They weren't happy. I think there must be 14 different versions of lyrics. And it wasn't until Colin Greenwood added that bass line that, you know, that comes in. So, and from there, the song transformed and they decided to give it a name. It's just got a cracking film clip. If it comes to mind, you know, I love a little Tom head wobble. <laughs> you know, when he really cuts, <laughs> when he's little dancing, yes. his little head grows. The film clip, it's just the whole band in slow motion, either playing or dancing. So, yeah, for me, picking a film clip to emphasise how, how amazing the song is as well. The more and more that you listen to it, the more that there's just so many layers to the to the lyrics, which I love. It's all about a person who thinks that they all have, have it figured out and then they realise that something important is missing, but they become obsessed with finding it. 
and when they do, everything strips away and everything is kind of meaningless in the end. So I think, you know, the underlying message is, is being happy with what you have and, you know, when people chase, you know, when you think that you need more and more in your life, that's what the song means for me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense with the mournful tone of the song and obviously the, the song title as well. That's right. And I love it. Like it kicks in and it just sounds, there's almost a moment when it sounds like it gets played in reverse at the beginning and then slowly the strings start to swell and then Tom, Tom's voice kicks in. Yeah, it's like, probably that's my favourite part of the song when it starts. magic song so you have heard nude live you, you mentioned yeah definitely they always play it so they played it the king of limbs was just like a, a, a magical experience because another thing that makes radiohead stand out is their live performances it's it's not just music it's it's you know their, their visual experience when you know it, that carries across into their film clips, every song I picked, I think, I, you know, it has the same element of film clips as well that draws me in. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is a, a great thing to mention about Nude because I know, like, with you being such a Radiohead purist of such, but this song is the highest debuting title in the Billboard 100 ever. It debuted at number 37, so it debuted higher than Creep. Okay. I was really surprised when I read that. I, um, for me, like I don't remember this song being one of their biggest. So, you know, for Radiohead, that's pretty high on the on the billboard. That's so crazy, but that's, there is yeah. there's actually a really good reason behind it, and I think you can take solace in this reason. So, the track's chart position was due to the sale of downloads from Apple iTunes Music Store purely, and the sale. Of the original song, it included five different what they called stems, which were isolated bass, isolated voice, isolated guitar, and then isolated strings and sound effects, and also isolated drums. And the band actually invited fans to download and use these pieces to create their own remixes. And these finished remixes could then be uploaded to radioheadremix.com where they were available for voting by the public. So when we say it charted so highly, it was really, I think, 
heavily influenced by this concept that Radiohead have told the public, look, we've, we've put all this extra in there, jump on board and, and have a play around with it. And, you know, obviously it resonated with all their fan base and, and it went nuts. So, you know, once again, it was just a Radiohead taking a whole new angle. Yeah, look, I, um, you know, once again, that sets Radiohead apart from the rest, doesn't it? They're always he- ahead of their game. So for me, I thought there would have been other songs that made it higher, but that makes sense now. I didn't know, I actually didn't know that. No, I only learned about it recently when uh, I had a little go at you for, you know, picking <laughs> the chart toppers. I learned a- <laughs> I found a fun fact today about Radiohead. So they opened for Alanis Morissette in 96. Holy that shit. Was, that was it. And then the next year they headlined Glastonbury. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I didn't know that. How the tides have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alanis okay. Morissette probably plays at the Townsville RSL now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on to my number four. Number four. My number four comes from Hail to the Thief in 2003. Now, this song is called Where I End and You Begin. I think this is one of Radiohead's most underrated songs. I think it's it's a masterpiece, honestly. It feels really ominous and dense, and it's got my favourite bass line out of any Radiohead track. I, I guess it's a bit holshy. It's one of the songs in those albums that is a little bit more rock, orientated rather than experimental I guess but it definitely still has those a lot of the new elements but it works really well it's got this double snare pattern on the drum in all honesty it makes me groove around dance around when it's on the house Tom's voice changes dramatically throughout this song the first verse is almost comes across unemotional and and resigned like he's giving up on the lyrics he's talking about but then as the song goes on he gets more passionate and more angry the best way i describe how this song builds is it it swells it just it feels like it's expanding from the anger as it goes and then by the end of it it just feels like it's going to burst the song itself it it has that juggernaut bass line that i mentioned and i I think i honestly think that's one of colin greenwood's highest points in his career It's, it's a queasy rolling loop that I'm pretty sure a lot of post-funk bands would have, would have killed to have, have written themselves. But yeah, that, that baseline holds it together and towards the end, especially when, when Tom starts repeating, I will eat you alive, eat like you alive. that's yeah. the part that like it's so evil. <laughs> and Tom, like that's the thing, like and as we go through these songs we'll learn this, but Tom, he can, he can sort of really make his voice suit the type of emotion that he wants to create right from the outset. He's not like these. A lot of other singers where you know they're very much. You know their style. You know their this this guy. If he wants to sound withdrawn, he'll he'll be able to do. If he wants to sound angry, if he wants to sound surprised, like he has this entire range that he he can create. And this song is to me is a is a very angry song.
I love the song. I think you described it perfectly. The concept of the song was about two people who are really emotionally connected, but it's it. He talks about Tom talks about the boundaries of the relationship, how they can, how you can like absolutely hate your partner, and then you can come back in. It's sort of like this this flow between. And it's kind of, he describes it, the separation between a couple, the gap in between. So I thought you, the way that you described the song was perfect, that you could see this tension building and then it sort of explodes and comes back together again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. that. But that makes complete sense. Of, yeah, yeah. Number four for yourself. Number four. So I went with There, There. So it's the, it was the first single off the album. Such a great um, song. Man, I love this song. It? Love it. I actually found since when I was doing a bit of research that Tom said it was one of the best things that he had ever recorded. So, and I definitely agree with him. So for me, when we got to see them in Sydney for 2003 for The Heart of the Thief, Johnny and Ed play heavy tom-toms and so they you know when the song's going to get played because they always move to tom-toms on either side of the stage kind of thing. So it's kind of that anticipation building up to the song because you know it's going to get played. And the first time that they both sort of start, you know, the crowd just goes wild. That really, you know, reverb guitar goes through the crowd. It's a wonderful moment. back to the lyrics so I think it's uh, like the anthem for mental health you know the lyrics are just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there there's always a siren singing you to shipwrecks like such beautiful lyrics so this song resonates with me for that reason every time you experience anxiety or you're in your head too much I hear Tom's voice pulling I'm, me out of it I'm the king of anxiety so <laughs> this, this might be my new anthem yeah, well, wow. there you go. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there.
So this was one that I actually did watch the film clip with today. Yes, um, yes. You want to give us a rundown on that one, how you saw it? Uh, once again, pick a song for the, you know, it's just this quirky little film clip where Tom had to slow down his motion so it's a, it's not stop motion, it's somewhere in between and he's and he's spying in the in the forest on rabbits and other wildlife and he eventually turns into this awesome tree. And It's literally a cinematic piece. <laughs> Isn't it? It's, Isn't it? It's so, so cool. The, the guy that created that film clip, I don't know his name or anything, but apparently it was so well received that people wanted to use the clip for advertising, but he said it, he was so proud of it and what it represented that he didn't want to bastardise it, so he just told them all to fuck off. <laughs> nice. So, nice. Okay, well, number three, first on our podium. Number three. My number three, and I've got a feeling this one is this one. Whilst it may not have made Deb's top five, I think it's pretty close to her heart, and it's called Exit Music for a film off of OK Computer in 1997. Okay, so this song, I'm just going to go into how it sort of came about to start with. Now, please tell me if I'm wrong with this, Deb, because. I've done, you know, I've sort of listened to this song so much recently as I researched a bit on it, but apparently it was originally recorded for the movie Romeo and Juliet, which was shot in 1996, and I think it's a great movie. However, the band didn't feel like releasing this song as part of the soundtrack as it was supposed to be included on OK Computer. It ended up playing during the credits of the movie, but it was different to the final LP version. Most notably, the drums continue for much, much longer after the chorus. The lyrics, I went back then and and listened, like read the lyrics, listened to it. I actually had no idea that it was in Romeo and Juliet, and this was the first time that I listened to it through that method of thinking. And the lyrics are actually, in my mind, pretty clear that they are relative to Romeo and Juliet, it wouldn't surprise me if they had further meaning. But now that I've known about this is how I've, I've seen it. So the first two verses, I feel like, are sung from Romeo's perspective. Breaks loose 
the first thing with this song that I just like it wins me over is Tom's vocals. Yeah. Just so freaking haunting. Right from the very first the very first I'm getting goosebumps here just thinking me about too. I was just about to say that. <laughs> like the very first word he sings in the song, you know, wake from your sleep is so beautiful and haunting. It's just I don't know, it's incredible. And I'm not sure how others feel out there because I, I read a few forums and, and no one really ever mentioned this, but to me, then verse three sounds like Juliet is singing, and I reckon Romeo, at this point of the song, is dying. One of my favourite lines of the song is just how desperate when you when you hear that the the line "breathe, keep breathing," Tom's voice is as desperate as a singer can ever get, and it, it's once again it goes back to what I said in that last song. He can just create a mood or an emotion just with how he he tweaks his voice. But then verse four is a dying Romeo talking just feels like to me this is him on his deathbed he's he's cold and and knows there's not long left and sing us a song a song to keep us warm such a chill Such a chill Then the absolute special moment the, the fuzz, fuzzy bass comes in The drums kick in And it just shatters everything With this massive blast of, of aggression And then Tom's voice shifts To this like uncontained hatred Absolute despair Despising voice, you know, that explosive climax and absolute centerpiece of this song. And, and I honestly think it's one of the greatest drops in Radiohead discography and, and possibly even music history, where, you know, he's, York starts singing with every ounce of power as the music swirls and it's just, I don't know, the word crashing around him and. Yeah. 
That is the best part when you're driving because you can just like top of my lungs. Yeah, it is one of the best parts when you're driving that part of the song. I remember Tom, I remember hearing about it. The the song was going to be in the Baz Luhrmann movie and I went and watched the whole movie waiting for this one song. And, and, and I remember just like sitting there in the seat at the end going, it's not even in the, it's not in the movie. And then, you know, the credits roll up and I went to watch this whole movie just so I could watch the credits and hear the song. But it was worth it. It was, a, and the movie was fantastic, but I sort of was the last one in the uh, cinema watching the credits. All right. Number three is No Surprises, which is no surprise. It's just an incredible song. I picked it specifically because my daughter was 13 at the time and I came home from work and she just was lying on her bed with the lights out with this song blurring. And because I got into Radiohead when I was 13 and that was creeping for me that, you know, I I remember just lying down on my bed just listening to this song. So I really had a moment and just, you know, stood outside her door. You know, for me that was such a big moment. Radiohead fan now so she was annoyed annoyed that I didn't put high and dry and she had her own list that she wanted me to put in
For me, that was a big moment, like in my parenting, you know, I've done parenting right at this stage. That's so, so cool. <laughs> but apparently the guitars were arranged to resemble the Beach Boys. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? And the more oh. that you listen to it, yeah. So wow. the more that you listen to it, I can see that. So once again... It has a cracking film clip. Oh, I was um, hoping you were going to talk about this one. Yeah, like how many times did you watch it on Rage? <laughs> we come home in the morning and you would try to hold your breath for that last minute where his whole <laughs> helmet oh, filled up with water. The yeah. way he's staring at you while he's doing it. It's incredible, oh, isn't it? It's such a great song. It, it just so, adds so much intensity to that film clip because you're like, just fucking breathe. <laughs> <laughs> And you can see at the end, he just like, <gasps> for a man that doesn't do many interviews, I followed as much as I could. Even when the band was sort of having their disruptions between them, they always stayed humble and never aired their dirty laundry, which I think for me just adds to that value. They wanted to keep it close and they resolved it. But I remember Tom, he said that he at the time, even when he was younger, he was obsessed with this concept that in landfills, we just fill it full of garbage and we cover it over. And he described it as that how he deals with all of his emotional debris of life. It just covers it over and that's how he deals with it. So I really think that's just a great concept and visual. But he describes it as a, uh, a fucked up nursery rhyme, which I really thought, which I really like. Yeah, uh, that actually nails it, how he describes it there. Um, yeah, Johnny's on the glockenspiel, you know, what else to love, that it's, this, you know, my heart that's filled up like landfill, a job that slowly kills you, bruises that won't heal. The idea is that, you know, the dissatisfaction of social and political order in the world is what he said. But I just remember getting played at Festival Hall. We just had the best seats. It was just the most amazing experience. It still just sticks with me to this day.
We're starting to get to the elite of the elite. <laughs> number two. Now, my number two, this one I'm really happy to have in there because it was not considered in my five before I started this project. And for me, all the projects of these bands I've been doing so far, I do most of them with my headphones on. And I think this, for me, is the ultimate headphone track for Radiohead. And it's called The National Anthem from Kid A in 2000. It sounds really chaotic, I guess, but each instrument is actually playing a solo to the riff. Yes, it might not blend with all the other solos perfectly, but it actually goes back to that that basis that they have and that simple kick-ass bass line. Actually, Tom York plays through it is, you know, it's pretty iconic. Then you got Phil Selway's snare heavy beat. And then you also got the warbling, <laughs> I, I never know how to pronounce this, the Und Martino, which is that piano type instrument that they, they used. That was, it was an early electronic type instrument. And, mm. and Radiohead played it through a lot of those albums in the 2000s. You have Tom York's voice through it that feels really disembodied and, and distant. And a lot of the time, it's actually really difficult to even hear him and understand him. So that, to the point that at, at a lot of times, the level of his voice is the same as the instrument. So it's, it's rather than him being the front man, he's actually mixed into the chaos. It adds to the, the scrambled effect of, that I think the song's trying to portray. But... The coolest part of this song, no doubt, which is so unique. <laughs> and I think it's really, it is really unique in that the periphery, well, what is normally the periphery in a song, actually becomes the primary in this one. It, it takes the forefront, which, you know, you it just doesn't happen. And when I talk about the periphery, I'm talking about that absolute mess of brass, that brass section <laughs> sound that is held together by the, by the bass line, but... I don't know. It, it's been described by, by some people as a brass band marching into a brick wall.
my take on the like the lyrics is I, I th- this is just my take, and I think it could be very, very different. But I think it's about the culture of fear in our society and how politicians have have created society. So you know, these days we are we're so close together through technology, you know, Zoom, social media. We're doing a podcast right now, miles away from each other. And so, yeah, society at the moment is real, you know, we're tight-knit. You can, you can be with people in, in England, in America, anywhere right now. It's, it, it's very easy to do. But it's become such, like social media and everything's taken over so much that people are scared to pull back and actually be seen as individuals. They're just, they're just part of the, the furniture now. And that brass section reflects the different noises that we hear from politicians and every politician has their own um, spin on things and it's all, you know, we know most of it's bullshit as well but it's all different so everyone's hearing all these different things and in the end, that's what the brass is. It's just fucking, it's all over the shop and that's where I think the title National Anthem comes from because everyone's hearing this, everyone's confused and yeah, the line, everyone is so near, everyone has got the fear, it's holding on. Like, that's just my take. And I'm sure you, you probably have something completely different. But I was, always, I was always intrigued why it was called the national anthem. And so it, it kind of made sense that it, it had to be something that was affecting everybody. So that was just my take on it. Yeah, I think, well, I, you know, so I know Tom York describes it as he was trying to convey the feeling of angry people trapped in a lift or traffic wow. was his description. So for me, we I just describe it as that little acid jazz bust out. You know, it's the best thing. That's my favourite watching Tom dance to that movement is my Christmas. So, yeah, I, that was this song was another one that was definitely I wanted in my my top five. When I saw it in your list, I was like, no, you know, I won't put it in. Apparently the jazz was actually inspired by, by Charles Mingus. So anyone that's heard Charles Mingus, you'll understand that, you know, he was quite experimental in himself with, with his jazz. All right, you're number two, Deb. So for me, number two, I went everything in its right place. We were moving over to London when I was 19. The album got released while we were in the air. And I remember the moment because when we landed, we were leaving for Europe and I had to make sure that I got this album because I had my mini disc with my little 15 (laughs) pocket, you know, little case that I had. So all the albums had to be carefully selected. So the two years that I spent abroad, Kid A was such a big album for me. I just remember landing and then, you know, we, we had to get settled and tee up with everybody. And in the meantime, we were out sort of like trying to find. It's the one album that we have duplicates of because we'd listened to it that much. It's been that scratch that we had to buy it again. I remember, so when Tom, because they really struggled with the success of OK Computer and he reports, you know, that he was, he's always been very open with his mental health, which I think is another reason that I love them so much. And because each of the artists in Radiohead are incredible musicians on their own right, Tom plays beautiful piano. He admits that he can't read music, something that he's been trying to do in the later years, but he still never has committed to it. So wow. when he had this breakdown, he said he couldn't pick up a guitar for a year this was when the band was, you know, they were having conflict. I think it was getting talked up in the media, but I really liked how they handled it at the time, that they were sort of, they kept it close. It was all managed. You know, there was none of that rattiness. No one went on drug 
booze binges, you know, it all mm. got handled. What I really like is the story that, so Tom, during this time, he only played piano. He didn't play guitar for the whole year. He said he listened to a lot of Aphex Twins, which is where a lot of the obscure sounding comes from. And afterwards, when when the Aphex Twins was told about this, they were like, oh, the album's shit. <laughs> it's so commercial. You know, they just like <laughs> completely wrote it off, um, which is just even funnier. Like I don't think Tom cared. He just said he was such massive fans of them and they just went, nah, the whole album's shit. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. But I do know there's, fant- there's beautiful BBC. Uh, Tom released just him on the piano before they even added in anything else. And it's just him on the BBC playing it. And you could see like the early concepts of the song way before it is what it is now. And then I think it was Nigel Godrich added in this old school synthesizer. It's like this big analog instrument that was really widely used in horror movies at the time. So that's where that big, you know, that big noise comes in. Yeah. So obviously transforms the song. But for me, this song is my time in London, my time in England, you know, we've made some fantastic English friends and they were such strong musical influences at that time. We'd go back, we'd go out clubbing and you'd come home and your mind would be buzzing like a fridge and you'd have to, <laughs> we would put on this album, I'm trying to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And, and with yeah. it being the opener as well. I remember just putting it in, listening, you know, in my mini disc, listening to it, just going, what the fuck? This is so different from everything. I was not expecting it.
loved it instantly. You know, it's about someone which, you know, reflects Tom at the time that he was trying to um, understand their place in the world, understanding their identity and control and, you know, how the world conforms to things. So I really liked it. He was really disillusioned with rock and roll at the time and that was the big shift, I think, for him. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I think it was because OK Computer was obviously off the charts and I think it, it all took their toll, you know, they've sort of risen to basically rock, or well, I don't know about rock gods, but music gods from that album and, and their life was very, very different from therein. So, yeah. And no, I don't think anyone expected to start listening to their next album that had very, very little guitar at the beginning and, and synthesizers. But, man, it's an incredible track. Number one. I'd love to introduce this song, but I'm not going to because... We both have the same number one, and I think it's only fitting that my guest, Deb, introduces this one and gives her take on it. What is our number one, Deb? It is Fake Plastic Trees. Yes. And that's how I knew that I liked Jehosh. We both, <laughs> Thanks. Thank we both shared the, the, the same favourite Radiohead. Everything else I think can change. You know, my some of my Radiohead selection can be fluid, but it has always been Fake Plastic Trees. Magic, man, it's magic. Why? Talk me through it. Talk me through your love of it. <laughs> well, Tom said, Tom said he was inspired when he went and saw Jeff Buckley live and he wanted to create a ballad, which I think he, he pulled it off magnificently. It's all about difficulty creating a real connection. In the film clip, they're in this fake shopping centre and Tom's in a trolley and it's this brightly coloured shopping center everything looks fake you know it's just such a beautiful film clip i love it so for me the standout is always the lyrics my favorite at the time it was like she looks like the real thing she tastes like the real thing my fake plastic love and at the time i was like that sounds like a coca-cola advert and and then i from researching i was right and i never really looked it up at the time but it was like a bit of a tongue-in-cheek attack at it he was kind of poking fun as well so i had no idea about that because that is my favorite lyric in the song and now you've just yeah isn't it um translated it for me (laughs) but yeah once again it was his it's his it's like his powerful voice everything about him this this song is always it's the best song to sing driving in a car well for me it, it has a, a really special place in my heart as well. Now, this song was my wife and myself, Bridal Waltz, which is like the weirdest choice ever because everyone out there picks Lone Star Amazing or something shit like that. But <laughs> that actually talks about love. But for me, like it, it, even... Tom York quoted in one of his 2016 performances before he, he said it, he's gone, here's another cheery fucker. And then <laughs> and then went into like, you know, it's a, it's a gloomy, almost exhausting, heartbroken song about how weary the world is. And at the same time, it's just so goddamn beautiful. Like, it's a beautiful song. And at the end of it, the words, and if I could be who you wanted... If I could be who you wanted all the time, was actually still quite a fitting finish for the bridal waltz. It, it kind of represented that you know we would love to be the perfect husband or wife, but we know that can never happen. So let's just be the best we can. And for Kate and I, before 
the wedding, you know, for the years leading up beforehand. Like we used to play it all the time on a Friday night. Friday night was always the night we'd before we had kids that we'd be into the drinks and late night, turn the lights off and, and put on fake plastic trees as, as loud as the speakers could go and sort of just lose yourself in it. And honestly, that last verse that we just spoke about, she looks like the real thing, et cetera, et cetera. So that last verse comes on at 2 minutes 36 and I still think that's one of the most powerful moments in music history as well. I, I can't, couldn't even count the number of times that I've, I've had a tear roll down my, my face, like listening to that song, losing myself in it. And then at the very end, it loses all the energy and Tom says it and it wears me out. It's just, it's a masterpiece and it is a national treasure. So it's also in Clueless. So obviously my teenage daughter is a massive fan of Clueless because it has a Kraken album. And it, yeah, so when it comes on, she's just like, it's Radiohead. So it's like the same kind of feeling that I get when I watched it for the first time. You're like, oh my God, it's a movie that I love and it's a song that I love. So. Yeah, in Clueless though, they're like, the, isn't Alicia Silverstone like bagging the person for listening to Radiohead? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> York was actually asked if, if he took that as an insult in the movie and he said, I mean, I suppose it does piss me off. But I am a moaning crybaby from hell, really. <laughs> Besides, the characters in that film aren't the kind of people I'd want to like Radiohead. They're just average, two-dimensional <laughs> Beverly Hills kids. And the person who is actually listening to us in the film is the only three-dimensional character. So the answer is, fuck you, we're for 3D people. <laughs> How awesome is that? Yeah. I'm so glad we both got that. And I, you know, I, I knew that before we even started the project for this this podcast uh, we've known that for the last decade plus i think it's it's such a magnificent one to take the podcast out so before we wrap up i'm going to play the full version of fake plastic trees the green plastic watering can for a fake chinese rubber and the fake plastic girl That you bought from a rubber man In a town full of Around. 
Deb's next episode, as per, as per the new routine, I have got three selections for her that I, I think she may be reasonably familiar with. Before I list them out, I know that John picked the Pixies a couple of weeks ago or a week and a half ago and it didn't go down well. So we're doing, <laughs> we're doing a mega episode of the Pixies in the, in the coming weeks and we're going to have three, potentially four of us, because Chippy Pierce is also a crazy, mad Pixie supporter. So I feel like potentially the most influential band of the, the last 30, 40 years deserves, you know, more than two top fives. So we're going to roll with a, a mega episode of the Pixie. You know, one thing we didn't mention, Polish, before I go, yeah. you didn't ask me about the uh, musical influences that shaped the artist, and I thought that tied in neatly to the Pixies because... Oh. Tom York said, "If there was, if there wasn't any Pixies, there would have been no Radiohead." So oh, yes. I thought that was a pretty, pretty bloody rad thing to say. Anyway, wow. yeah, I'll finish yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's unreal. I, I completely missed to to head into the influences, but man, yeah. the Pixies have been in every freaking episode almost. I, I, I think there's only been two episodes that they haven't been the the artist hasn't been heavily influenced, and that's just goes to show how important they were. But that's awesome. They actually they were huge for the Radiohead as well. 
Wow. Yeah, and that's hence the nature of our domestic <laughs> um, <laughs> argument that we got into because we were just sort of like, I knew them better. No, I knew them better. And so for, you know, we have we have so many different favourite songs and, you know, so we, we couldn't come to an agreement who got to do the Pixies. So I'm happy to share. I'll, I will share my toys in the sandpit. So. For Deb's next solo, Ev, these are the, the selections. We've got the Drones, No FX, or the breeders. What would you like to go with there? I'm going to say no effects because they are unfortunately breaking up and we have just bought tickets to their last concert in Brisbane in January. So as much as it sucks, they're, promise, they're promising that they're not going to do a Motley Crue and keep coming back. So I really think this is going to be it. They're, they're done. So we'll wait for that one. Um, it's got to be the drones. The drones. Yeah, they really hold a special place in my heart. One of the, the great Aussie bands, underrated Aussie bands, in my opinion. So, yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Let's hold off no effects until after you've seen that final gig because that'll be a great talking point itself. And the drones, for me, out of those three, is actually probably the one that I know the best. So I'm happy with that nice. selection. But, Deb, nice. you've absolutely nailed it tonight. I know you had a few nerves. But you've been unreal. I think this episode is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, it was no easy feat to take on Radiohead of all artists. So thank you so much. Uh, Look, thank you, Holsh. I was happy to be the the female representative in the uh, cock forest of (laughs) of hospitality. We needed one. Can I say that? You're the token. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The janitor. No, look, it's been fun. And it was actually loads of fun i've had the busiest week it was so much fun getting to go back and just relive and, and research radiohead so being an like an enjoyable experience that's awesome i'm so glad you loved it and and you know the fun just continues now you can go and start hooking into the drones <laughs> but no everyone thank you so much for listening yet again we've been getting some wonderful comments coming through about the show and it really makes my day and and we're looking to improve all the time If you get a chance, make sure you follow the podcast, subscribe and join our Facebook group, Holst Fidelity, where we try and keep everyone up to date with notifications. Other than that, I really hope you enjoyed the playlist. Thank you very much.